everybody doing? Yeah, everybody made it? Good. Man, I told the first service, man, it was, it was sideways. I said, man, y'all are going to heaven. I mean, for sure. For sure, man. I tell you what, man, it has been, the last couple of weeks have really been uh, special for me because I feel like um, it just seemed so appropriate where we were digging into as a leadership team. And then what we were talking about as a church, if you were with us, we were in the Compass series and talking about, you know, what it looks like to develop a worldview or a compass on this side of heaven in a world that um, is so divided. And there's so many different directions, so many ideologies, so many different things that you can follow, so many, so many lenses in which you can look at everything on planet Earth, including Scripture. Like if you've got a preset lens and worldview and you begin to look at Scripture after you've developed the worldview or the compass, then you can decide how you want that scripture to affect your life and then what you want it to say. But we kind of flip that on its head. And I love that where we're going in these next uh, four or five weeks as we talk about the vision of the church, as we talk about what it like, look, looks like to, to be rooted and grounded in uh, the church and it, it being the staging ground for how we invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace. I, I, I just love that. Um, I wanted to kind of flip things around in this service a little bit. I wanted you, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, um, starting in verse 1. Just as, a, as, a, as an anchor passage, thinking about what it looks like, because we're in a series, and you can throw this graphic up too, um, uh, from here to eternity. Anybody ever seen that movie? Probably two of you. Um, but it really, this... The, the, the idea in the series that we're, we're diving into is really about, you know, we live here. We're in the in-between um, as, as human beings, as the, the most majestic creatures that God has created. We are the ones that are here on planet Earth. We, we can experience heaven on Earth, but not fully. We see a shred. We see a shade. It says that we are veiled in the way that we see um, what, what will come in the future. But Romans chapter 12 is... The Apostle Paul writing to the Roman church, and he spent 11 chapters unpacking in uh, the most detailed way the gospel. What, it, what, what has happened? What are the implications on planet Earth? What are the implications for you and me? What are the implications overall for Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection? The things that he accomplished on the cross. The theology that we get in the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Nicene Creed most of that comes from the book of Romans and specifically the first 11 chapters. Just amazing explanation. Just you see the scandalous nature of the gospel that you can't save yourself. You can't choose God. God chased after you. Your sins, past, present, future, annihilated by the cross of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 12, he says, therefore. So there's a transition. He's saying, so what would be the, you know, what, how should this affect us? What does it mean for our lives? So he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And he's saying, in view of the last 11 chapters, in view of what I've put on display for you, in view of that, this amazing news, the, the, the gift that just trumps everything on planet Earth. There's nothing. Everything else is temporal. Everything else is going to burn up. The only thing that's going to remain is the gospel. It's Jesus. The word of God is what's going to reverberate into eternity. He says, this gift has been given to you in view of this mercy, this grace. He says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true 
and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. It's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Don't, don't develop your compass or the way that you're going to navigate through life the way that the world does. But be transformed by this news, by the Holy Spirit, and by the knowledge of the gospel. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you'll think differently. That you'll steer through life differently. You'll raise your kids differently. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. How we spend our lives on this side of heaven, from here to eternity. What are we going to do with this small segment of life that we have? You know, I was thinking about it this week, because when I, when I read Romans 12, I always think about Drake. Um, sorry, I thought that would go off better in the second service. But he, the, he, he, he thinks he coined the term uh, YOLO. I mean, I, I don't know if you, anybody listens to Drake uh, or knows that. Um, if you do, then we'll pray for you. And, and, you know, you're swinging over hell in a rotten vine, but you'll make it. Um, but no, he, he coined the phrase YOLO, he thinks. But it really actually uh, originated in 1993 from some Canadian guy. And it ended up on T-shirts after Drake in 2012 or 2013 or 2011, I think, came out with his hit where he talks about it. But we all know what it means. It's so funny how cultural things happen. I'm going to count to three. You tell me what YOLO means. One, two, three. You only live once, baby. That's it. You only live once. And what's he trying to say? What's Drake trying to, what's, what's the, the point? Is to, don't waste it. You should risk now. You should do the crazy things now. You should, as Tim McGraw says, you know, go skydiving. Rocky mountain climbing. I mean, I went from Drake to Tim McGraw. You got to give me some points there, right? But you've got this, this idea that we have a short time and a short span in life where we only live once. We only have one life. And scripture, long before Drake, long before Tim McGraw, has been reminding, of us, reminding us of this truth that we only live once. We have a, a limited amount of time to express faith, to believe in the image of the invisible God, to believe we, we live by faith. Jesus told Thomas, hey, you get to put your fingers in the holes of my hands, but blessed are those that actually don't see and believe. And you and I, we have this opportunity to leverage our life for what matters most in eternity, believing that it's better than what we can spend our money on, our time on, our resources, and our lives on, on down on earth. And so that started to lead me to this place of wondering, where's, like, is there, is there going to be regret in heaven when we see Jesus face to face? I mean, I think we all understand, you know, regretful moments on planet earth. We, like, we get that, you know, the, I think I actually have a, the, just a basic definition of regret, even though we know it. It's kind of good to get it in the brain. It's, it's this. Regret is a negative cognitive emotional state that involves blaming ourselves for a bad outcome, feeling a sense of loss or sorrow at what might have been, or wishing we could undo a previous choice that we've made. And in small ways and in large ways, I think we all understand regret. Like guys in the room, if you're married or in a relationship, you, you regret, regret things you say. I mean, like in, in conversations, you wish you could go, I didn't, I just wouldn't put that back in there because you, you just did it. I'm, that, I'm, I'm outside, I think, you know, and process while I'm talking, not always healthy in a marriage um, and gets you in trouble. There's regret in small ways, but there's also those, the, the bigger things that have larger impact. I remember in college, I took a lot of early classes. I don't know why. I just, just 
not smart. Um, but I did, and I would be, I'd come home and have all these plans. I'm going to study. I've got this time to this time, and I can get up. I got to get up. I got to get a good, good night's sleep. And then I, you know, you got roommates. You got, you got people, and I got roommates that like to go out and do stuff, and they've got a whole nother plan. And they're like, oh, we're not studying tonight, man. We're going to do this. And you fight it, and you try to, and then you've got the two choices, right? I can stay home, and I can study. But what you're thinking in your mind, I'll regret not going out with my friends, won't I? No, you're going to regret failing your test at 8 o'clock in the morning. And that's what happens. You end up in that place of regret. You end up in that place of wondering, what, you know, why, what, what, what happened here? Now, those are types of regret where there's a negative, con- like this, there's this negative consequence or this pain that you're going to feel or this disaster that takes place after that. I didn't do this and now I've got to suffer the consequences or I didn't do this and now this person is mad at me or I didn't do this and this person is going to leave me or I said this and I've completely destroyed this relationship or I Woke up late and now I've lost my job. There's that type of regret. But there's also different types of regret. I was, I was thinking about this in terms of a story that is absolutely true and it doesn't speak well of me. So if you email me, I'll actually take it. I won't spam block it because I deserve it. But at Christmas time, the Harmon, we had kind of a tradition that's kind of developed over the years. We do the stockings along the hearth and we got, you know, family of five, three kids. And, you know, everybody's got their letter on their stocking. It's great. And they get stuffed, you know, before Christmas. Now, for two years in a row, I, I just made a horrible mistake. And I love giving gifts, but I just, timing-wise, I, don't we always think, I got time. You know what I mean? Like, Christmas comes around. Some people are like, you know, Black Friday, I'm going to get it all done there. That's not me. I'm just like, Christmas Eve, I think that's plenty of time, right? Um, but I get to that, I, you know, I just remember driving, last, the last time this happened, I remember driving down A1A, getting ready to like go, oh, I should go do this, and I should stuff the stockings today, and just not doing it. And then, th- this is what ultimately happens, because my wife, she goes and she stuffs, she wraps everything individually, I mean, just little things, you know, go to Marshall's, go anywhere, and you get all these little things, it's kind of the precursor to the big gifts that are under the tree, uh, because we live such an opulent lifestyle as, you know, pastor and pastor's wife, pastor's kids, we buy tons um, but we wrap all these things up from Walgreens, if that doesn't tell you where we shop. And then we get it, she packs them all full. And for, for whatever reason, you know, I thought Christmas Eve, and, you know, it's a rodeo around here at Christmas Eve at Ocean City Church, if you haven't realized that yet. You're not going to be shopping, you're not going to be doing anything. And this is what's happened. It happened two years, not this year. This year I crushed it, it was awesome. But in past years, you look at the stockings, you got all five stockings, and four of them are just packed, just like, just busting out the top. I mean, all individually wrapped little gifts. And then you take the one that's got the B on it and it just is floppy and is not. And I just, I remember, I couldn't even enjoy like getting my stocking handed to me and going, I don't even know what to do. And the kids even just sell me out. I mean, you guys are like, father, what have you done? You know, looking at me and they're like, come on guys, you got to get in my corner. It's your fault too. Help me out. Um, actually, this year, Ella helped me out a lot, and, and I crushed it. But, <laughs> but the, the simple fact is, is I, was, I, I, regret, I regret that. Like, I regret two years. I regretted it. Like, terrible. It's like, you don't, you don't think about it while it's happening. It's like you're spending all this time, and then all of a sudden you get to the day. You can't go back. I can't go back and just go, I get, everything's closed. I could run out and try to, but I just can't stuff it now. You just can't go back. 
But the difference in that and other types of regret is it really is not an impact. It's not gonna, we're, we're not getting divorced over that. She doesn't love me any less. In fact, she loves giving the gifts more than receiving the gifts. That's her joy, packing, wrapping, doing Santa's workshop in our room, making it a disaster, which I don't love. But she's got it all done, and she loves that, and she loves me. She is not going to love me any more or any less because of the stocking stuffing. It's, there's nothing that will disrupt that. There's nothing that's going to break that apart. She, her, her approval of her husband in that moment is not, that doesn't, doesn't change that. You see, the... the, the, the consequence is not there. I'm upset not because she's not going to love me if I don't stuff the stocking. I'm upset because I love her desperately and she's done so much for me. I want to fill the stocking. I want it to be jammed. I want it to be overflowing. And I realize at the end of the day that I've, I've missed it. I wasted my time on other things. So when you think about that, just as we talk about this idea from here to eternity, as we talk about this idea, is it possible that there's heavenly regret? Is it possible that we'll see Jesus face to face one day and something will happen in the heart, in the midst of the joy that we'll experience, that we'll be just slack jaw going, oh, I wish I knew, oh, it's going to be joy unspeakable, but is there such thing as heavenly regret. Now, growing up in the, the 70s and in the 80s, I think, you know, you, depending on what church you went to, they used the idea in a, in a negative way of this idea of heavenly regret, like, you better get things ready because the flames is coming and you don't want to get left behind if the rapture comes. And there was books written, Late Great Planet Earth, Hal Lindsey, I don't know if anybody's mom made them read it so that they didn't go out at night. Uh, my mom did. Um, but yeah, I went to a Def Leppard concert the night that Jesus was supposed to return in 1987. My mom was really upset about that. Uh, <laughs> that's terrible. Um, I didn't mention that in the first service. I don't know why. I don't think they could see, probably because my mom was in there. Um, but you, the, the, the church back then used this idea of regret in the kingdom of God. It seemed like an anti-gospel because, you know, Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Death, burial, and resurrection. He paid it all. You can't pay for it. You can't give him anything to receive the approval. You can't give him anything to get into heaven. So we, and as the ocean of grace church, we always preach that because we want to fight against the idea that there is this, I mean, there used to be songs. There was one called, I wish, anybody uh, wish we'd all been ready? I mean, uh, you know, if anybody remember that? They actually sang that in church. I got a few lines for you, just because this is awesome. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Wish we'd all, I know the people that haven't heard it. Wish we'd all been ready. She hears a noise and turns her head. Wait, no. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a voice, turns her head, he's gone. Wish we'd all been ready. I mean, that's just, I mean, the rapture's going to get you. Y'all better get ready. <laughs> I love this one. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one left standing still. Wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. See, that's the type of guilt that you don't want in terms of thinking about heavenly regret, Right? But is there something, think, think, is there something in the terms of I've received something and I want to fill, I want to leverage my life 
for the one who saved my soul, the one that gave up everything for me, not because I have to, but because I get to. I have the privilege of filling the stocking. I have the privilege of spending my life for what matters most in the end. Not for the temporal things, but the things that will reverberate into eternity and reflect the glory of God. And we'll, they'll matter. They won't burn up. Like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's the, there's the wood, hay, and stubble. The things that at the end of time, they will burn up. And then there's the gold, the things that will be survived by the fire that will end up in the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He's like, I'm not going to invest anymore on planet earth, except in the souls of men and women. And I'm going to suffer for the gospel. And, and if you're going to ask me about it, what he says in 2 Corinthians, he says, for this light and momentary affliction, he goes, it's earning for me an eternal weight of glory. So that even gives us a foreshadowing that there is this weight of glory. There is something to come. There is something that's going to change the way we live here has a reverberation and has an effect on eternity. It changes it. The, the, I love what John Piper says, and he says, this is one of those things that you read and you're like, okay, do I have the authority to say this? Well, John Piper certainly does. I mean, he will go down in history like people like C.S. Lewis and Jonathan Edwards because he's been such a prolific preacher. He says this when it comes to the idea of heavenly regret and this idea of from here to eternity. He says, is there regret in heaven? Can regret be part of the ever-increasing, unspeakable joy of the age to come purchased by Jesus Christ? My answer is yes. I am aware of promises like Revelation 21.4 that says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. The former things have passed away. So that's great. That's amazing that Heaven's going to be amazing. He says, but I don't think it rules out tears of joy. And it may not rule out regretful joy. And I love that word and that term because I think there's that moment that we're going to have when we see Jesus and we're going to look back and go, I, we're all going to say, I wish we knew that this is what it meant because we don't see clearly on this side of heaven. We'll all think, whoa, man, I wish I knew. He says, I don't think it rules that out. He says, just think of it. He says, oh, he says, but it, it, this leaves me trembling that I will not throw away one short life that I will look back, that I will look back on for all eternity. Just think of it. You have one life, one very short life, then an eternity to remember. I mean, that's heavy. But there's an exciting, do you see the kind of the juxtaposition of the excitement of seeing Jesus face to face and the wondering of what, it, what, what this joyful regret, these tears of joy, the, the awestruck moment of seeing Jesus face to face and us knowing that in that moment we'll be like, oh, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Redeemed. Yes. Approved of? Yes. Righteousness of Christ? Yes. Will he love me forever? Is his love any more or any less based on the way that I've lived my life and the things that I've done? Absolutely not. But will I have wished that I stuffed the stocking? The answer to that question is yes. 
So a couple of things I want to talk about. Two things that we will all experience when we see Jesus. And then two things that we can that we can respond to because we know that one day we will see Jesus. So the first one, when we see Jesus face to face, we will get full clarity. We will have that moment. Revelation 22, 4 says, they shall see his face. That's as clear as it gets. We will see his People that experienced Jesus on planet Earth when he walked on planet Earth for 33 and a half years, they saw his face, but they didn't see. He was divinity and humanity as he walked on planet Earth, but his physical skin that he put on, there was nothing majestic about him. All they saw was his humanity when they saw his face. We will see him face to face. The only glimpse we have in Scripture is in Revelation 5, where John, or in Revelation 1, where John gets taken up to heaven and gives us a picture. He says, I saw the Son of Man. And his hair was like white as snow. His eyes were like the sun. There were swords coming out of his mouth. When he talked, it was like rushing waters. His feet were like burnished bronze. He uses all this imagery because he just mind blown. He doesn't know how to describe what he's seeing when he sees Jesus. We shall see his face. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. That is good news. He says, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We don't even know what... Our redeemed selves would be if we were followers of Jesus. He says, but we know that when he is revealed, he being Jesus, we shall be like him. And, and it says here, for we shall see him as he is. What will that be like? We'll get full clarity. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. It says, now we see things imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Some of your translations say, we see darkly through the glass. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. We will get full clarity. We'll get full clarity. So now, knowing that we'll have full clarity, knowing that something's coming, knowing that we can transform our mind, like it says in Romans chapter 12, what does it look like for us? Martin Luther King, we just you know, are celebrating that kind of this weekend between you know, uh, Friday and Monday. Martin Luther King, he said this, I, I, and I love this. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. And his context there is to say, hey, you, we don't even know what's coming when heaven comes, but we know that it's going to be extraordinary. And we know that there'll be, we'll know we'll wish we had walked with more faith. So he's saying, Step. You don't see the, we don't know what's at the top of the stairs. But God gives us assurance that we can walk this way. And it's the best way to walk. And think about the eternal reverberation of Martin Luther King Jr. Think about what he's done. Think about how much he's talked about. Think about how he's, he's created a legacy that not only has changed this country and is still changing this country, but is putting all of the glory away from himself. And if you read his works, they're all towards the works of Jesus and where real and true freedom comes from. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Faith is giving your life away, is what Martin Luther King would say, to something that actually matters rather than spending your life on yourself being selfless. So we will have full clarity, which will drive the way that we act. The other thing that will happen is involuntary worship. We have voluntary worship now. By faith, we worship God. And there's things that move us into that place of being, you know, raising our hands. Or like Dave said, like, 
You know, sometimes you get into it. It's like sometimes we're like, we, uh, there's a wake up moment. We're like, yes, I've been redeemed. Graves in the gardens, yes, I was dead inside. I wasn't, I wasn't a kind of a naughty person that needed a little boo-boo fix of grace to get a little better. I was dead in my sins and trespasses, and he brought me to life. He brought the paddles out, and ba-boom, we are alive in Christ. And you start thinking about that and singing about that, and all of a sudden you start dancing and worshiping. Well, when this happens, when we see Jesus face to face, Everybody, there won't be any like, I'm a modest worshiper and I just kind of, you're going to see Jesus face to face. It's going to be, oh my God. I mean, it's, you're going to be crazy. I mean, when fire came down from heaven in the Old Testament, you read Leviticus. There's this one scene in Leviticus. I love it. I mean, it's not much in Leviticus. You're going to go, woo, but there's this one scene where fire comes down and burns all the fatty portions around the sacrifice, makes it charcoal. And there's two million Hebrews that are standing, like, I mean, can you imagine a field? I mean, it's like Woodstock times 20. And they're all just kind of hanging around. Fire comes down from heaven, burns everything up. The priests are standing around. Moses is standing around. And guess what they all do? They come out of their shoes. Everybody, two million of them together, shouting for joy, the praises of God. And then guess what happens? Proper response. They're like, fear. fear. They're like, oh, oh my, oh my God. And they're saying it in the right way. And they all go face down, collectively involuntary worship, they couldn't help themselves. When we see Jesus, we, we see the slain lamb, as it says in Revelation, we, it, will, it will crush our heart with joy, and we will look into the past going, I cannot believe he came running after me. I can't believe that even though I couldn't earn it, I didn't deserve it, he came after me, and this is what he did for me. Because we will see, he will be the slain lamb. We'll see the scars in his hands, his feet, and his side. They'll, they'll remain there, it says in Scripture, to remind us, not erase our past where we don't know, but we will have a redeemed past where the scar has healed over from our sin. And it will evoke worship. Revelation says, says we, will throw, we will throw our crowns at his feet. All that you've done, you will throw at his feet. You won't, you won't, the things that we've done aren't to earn our way into heaven aren't so that we have a bigger mansion, aren't so, you know, where are you going to live on the streets of gold? It says in Scripture, everything of worth and value that survives the fire in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the crowns, guess what? It's like, I'm going to have a bigger crown. If anybody's bragging about their crown, all of them are going at Jesus' feet because he's the treasure. Nothing that we earn, nothing that we get, none of that will matter at all. The, the beauty of heaven is not the mansion. It is not the way that you're going to live. It's not floating on the cloud or the big golf course, the amazing waves you're going to get to surf. The treasure will be Jesus. That's definitive in scripture. He will, it will take our breath away and he will be the reason there will be joy in heaven. He will be the reason for the elation. He will be the center of worship. So we will respond in worship. The other thing we'll see, the other thing that just in knowing, so those are the things that we, we know will happen. So what does it look like for us here? What does it look like for us to know that there's, there's possibly a moment? I mean, this is the, the beauty. What joy this is. What if you knew, like, you saw the future of the 8 o'clock in the morning in the test, and you're like, I'm going to bomb that test. I saw the future. I got to actually see what was going to happen. Maybe I'm going to make a few different decisions along the way. Or I saw the future, you know, two weeks from now, I'm going to have this, you know, blowout fight with my wife, and I'm going to say some things that will cause irreparable damage. 
I think I'm going to make different choices along the way. Well, the beauty of Scripture, the beauty of the Word of God, and the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit is God's given us this beautiful glimpse and he's given us the, the, the commentary. He's given us the exhortation from the apostles to say, we know what the future holds. You can't comprehend it because you're human, but we're, we're saying put your faith in it and trust in it, and it will change everything about the moment that you will see Jesus. It'll change everything because we're responding. This, the point here is we're going to be responding because of grace, not because of guilt, not because we have to, not because of fear, but out of joy and because of the grace that we've received. Just like it says in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, we respond. In view of what's been given to us, this, this ocean of grace, this, this torrent of grace that's been dumped, we can now vertically respond. In joy, we fill the stocking. Not because we need to earn love. We're already loved. But because, because we're loved, we fill the stocking. That's the, that's the difference. It's not, we don't do it because we're worried about God, not because of fear, not because we weren't ready and we're going to be left behind. We do it because we're loved, because we'll never be left behind, because he'll never run out on us. He'll never stop chasing us down. Because of that, we get to. That's what 1 Peter says in, in, in uh, chapter 2. It says, because you're chosen. You're now chosen. You're a royal priesthood. There used to be a group of priests that got the privileges of getting into the inner courts of the temple. And one priest, one time a year, got into the Holy of Holies in the actual presence of God. And they would sprinkle with the hyssop branch blood on the mercy seat, on the, on the, on the Ark of the Covenant, which was the sacrifice for the, all of the people so that, that God's wrath would, would, would be separated from the people for one more year because they deserve death. We all deserve death because of sin. Now, because of Jesus, he is the one who's made a way. It says Hebrews 6.19, he's broken that apart. The veil is now gone, and he leads us beyond the veil into the inner sanctuary. That's what Peter's referring to. He's like, you're a royal priesthood. Now you, because Christ lives in you, because Christ is the intermediary, because Christ has done what needs to be done. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. You're a royal priesthood. You're chosen. You get, you get the same. God's special possession you're not just, you know, a bunch of people that God said, oh, I guess I'll take all these people. Special possession. And then the response, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That you get to is what that passage translates as. Not I have to. Because you're, you, you, you're loved, because you're chosen, because you are God's special possession. What a gift. What an amazing thing that's happened to you as a follower of Jesus you get to respond. We get to live our lives. We get to pour out our lives. We get to evaluate the resources that God's given us to steward in this life and say, how can I push these in a position that, will, that aren't going to burn up, but they are going to reverberate? How do I stuff the stocking to illuminate the glory of God with this small blip on the radar life that I've been given? How can I maximize it? What can I do? What does that look like? And the last thing I want anybody to feel, and you probably feel it already, is that you've got to earn something. That this is about, I mean, sometimes people are like, gosh, there's a lot of striving and there's a lot of working passages in Scripture. I thought it's salvation by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. We can't do anything. You know, you can't work for it. Work does not equal salvation. 
right? Jesus paid it all. I don't. Since past, present, future, his blood paid it all. We don't pay for it. Stuffing the stocking doesn't earn you anything. But there's still a lot of striving and working and earning and sanctification in the Bible. Where does that fit in? I love what Dallas Willard says, and Beth mentioned this the other night in our um, Bible study methods class, that grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Absolutely. There's a joy in effort, isn't there? Everybody on planet Earth understands what it means to give your life away to something and experience that joy and experience what giving your life to something that will matter, sacrificing. I think about two days when I played football. There was nothing like getting up to the first night of Friday Night Lights football and you had just absolutely destroyed your body for two a days from the beginning of August leading up to, you know, the first game in September. And you see the lights. I mean, there is, there's an excitement and you are, you don't regret the effort that you put in. I mean, you get to go to, go to war. I love the South. We talk, talk about football, I guess, you know, going to war on Friday night, you know. I mean, but you, I mean, you get the, the analogy. There's something great about that, about giving our lives away, but we respond from what? from his grace, not from guilt. And we can do that now before we see Jesus. You know what else we can do? We can, we can treasure him now because there will be, secondly, treasure in heaven. You know why we know that? Because Jesus was really clear about it. Matthew 6, 19, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Don't, don't, don't stack it up here. And Jesus is like, hey, guess I'll just give you a little bit of a clue about how earth works. He says, we're moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. It's that eternal weight of glory that the Apostle Paul is talking about. And where thieves do not break in and steal. And I love this because he connects it not to your works, not to, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, I've said this many times. It's like you can see what people care about by what they spend their money on. And it's, it's one of those convicting things every time I look at my bank account. Like, where, where am I pushing my resources that God has? Because it's all his. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, which in modern terms means there's nothing. He doesn't need your money. He's not looking for you to cut him a check. He doesn't need you to stuff the stocking. You know what I mean? He's, he's, done all, he's done it all. He'll continue to do it all. He can do it without you. But he's invited us into something. And just, just like Gerald said it, he, he knows what you need, but man, he does, it, scripture is very clear. He, he tells us to ask. It's the same way when it comes to this. It's like, does he need us to, to give everything away? No, but he, he is interested in your heart. He's definitely interested in your heart. Where's your heart? Where's the priorities of your life? What are you spending your time on? What are you spending your money on? How are you stewarding what God's given you? Even how are you stewarding your kids? Because everything else it's going gonna, it's gonna to be destroyed at the end of the day. You know, some of you, um, some of you probably already know this uh, and some of you don't. Uh, don't judge me. It was not my fault. Somebody got me into this. Um, it actually was my mom. Um, but we are going to be on a uh, home renovation show, um, our family, me and Beth. Yeah, you'll, you can enjoy it on HGTV. It's coming very soon. Um, if you, does anybody know who Marcus Lemonis is from The Prophet? Anybody watch The Prophet? Some of you do. Um, he, he's, Having a, he had a show that was going to be on CNBC and then HGTV bought it. 
Um, we got thrown into the casting because my mom submitted our name, and then they called us, a whole long story. Um, and this is us at Marcus Lemonis. Hey, Marcus, that's my house. Um, and they're renovating our house, and we're out of our house right now. And what you realize when you're, even though you love your house, we love our house, we, we rented it for years, and then we bought it, um, and, we, and we knew that there were problems with it, but what you realize is everything is breaking down. As much as you love it, as much as buying a Jack's Beach is an amazing investment, what you don't know underneath, and sometimes it's hidden in life. Sometimes we think we are moving in the right, this is the best investment I could possibly make. These are the best things that I could do. This is the best place to spend your money. This is, this is going to you know, create a legacy of wealth for you. But this is what you find when you actually peel back the covers of the things that are on planet Earth, because this is my house. <laughs> Look at that. I know. You're like, you lived there? Yes, I lived there. I mean, you're wondering where COVID started right there. Um, it, it just gets, I mean, it was, it was a shock to see it. And we knew we had some moisture in there. You go in there, man, it's kind of funky in here. Turn on, the, turn on that machine that we have that gets, fills up with water all the time. It just was every wall that we started to peel back, everything that we saw, I mean, we're moths. And some of your translations say we're rust destroyed. Check out this next photo. I think it's this one. Look at that pipe. That's bad. I don't know if y'all know that. That's not good. This is where it comes in and it breaks down and takes, it's just, it's not gonna last. And you know what, we're gonna get it. And look, you have to take care of your, like you gotta buy, you buy places to live. You steward things that God's given you. We, I wanna have a house that we can invite people into, that we can share the gospel in, that we can enjoy our family in, but also enjoy the, 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 our extended family in the church. I mean, we want all those things. There's great things for houses, but when we shuffle the deck of importance, we gotta remember it's gonna be ashes. It's going to rust. It's going to decay. It is going to fall apart. It is not worthy of the top order of investment. We have to rearrange where we, where we put our energy. I, I don't know that we think about when we fill out a card and say, we're gonna make this commitment to a church. We think, okay, that's great. I feel good about it. The church gets some money and you know, there's some Carver Center stuff that's gonna, no, it has, it's the same way as seeing Jesus face to face. We don't have a clue right now what that means, but one day we will. Because the stuff you, I'm going to spend reflooring that, fixing that pipe, I'm not going to see that in heaven. It's not going to matter. It will be a distant memory and something we might laugh about. But the dollars, the time, the energy that I gave to the cause of Christ, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out what, what happened to that. Because it's going to continue to reverberate into eternity. I want to know the things that continually continually speak and continually echo from here to eternity. I want to know what those things are. And as a church, I want to fill the stocking. I want to be the church that responds. I want to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace because I've experienced it. But I also want to do that. I want to, I want to fill Fill this place. This is our stocking. This is, this is what we want to see people that are experiencing the Holy Spirit, experiencing Jesus, knowing that He saves and nothing else does, that people come in here and the Spirit is here and they're healed physically. What if that happens? I mean, that, you talk about reverberating. You talk about echoing into eternity. 
Somebody walks in here and they didn't know who Jesus was. They were cynical about their faith. They grew up in, maybe in church and awful things happen. Maybe somebody sang that awful song. I wish we'd all been ready and they left the church and now they're back. And they wake up to the reality of who Jesus is. They were dead in their sins and trespasses and their doubt and their brokenness and their hurt, the sins that they've committed and the sins committed against them. And now they're alive. Now they're alive. And their life is changing. Dark cloud of depression. Thinking, I can't be good enough to get anyone's approval on planet Earth. I've done everything to make myself beautiful. I've done everything to make myself good enough for somebody to like me, for the world around me to like me, to, to feel like I'm good enough on, on planet Earth. And then the, by the power of the Spirit, their life is transformed and they realize I am loved by the God of the universe, Jesus. I don't just know who he is. I'm not just gonna see him face to face, but I experienced his spirit and I'm approved of by him. And that guy, Teddy, that made me feel like crap, doesn't matter anymore because I'm loved by the king. Do we not want people? I want to keep stuffing the stocking, stuffing the stocking, stuffing the stocking. Not because I have to, but what a joy. How much fun is that to shine the glory of God back to him and off of ourselves with every resource that we have? So over the next few weeks, we're going to learn what it looks like to steward our money and our finances, to think creatively about how we give our lives away, what it means to be an anchor and make the church the staging ground of where we, because we're always better together. I mean, we, we get excited on our own about how we're going to serve Jesus, but man, you start to clump us all together. It's like a, it's like an unstoppable force. And we're going to learn what it looks like to become an unstoppable force. Just this tribe right here in these couple of services and the anchors in this house, what it looks like for us to storm the gates of hell with our stockings that were given to the king. Let's stand. God, we love you. We love who you are. You've put us in this place where we, we are bound by space and time. We have a limited window, but you don't. You are not bound by anything. We have to have regrets and we can't go back. But guess what? You can reverse the curse. You can redeem anything. You can restore anything. And God, for anybody, any of us that feel like it's all lost, that there's no hope for us, God, I pray by the power of your spirit right now that you breathe your hope in here, that there's nothing outside of your redemption. There's nothing outside of who you are, that you've brought people here to feel your spirit, to experience the beauty and the grace, what it, what it feels like to be touched by eternity.